This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in our series on Jesus 2020. We're going to be reading from John chapter 15. Also want to acknowledge the students out there. Say hi to the students on the dock. We love you. And if you're watching online, we're delighted that you've joined us. So Gemma Higgins from our youth ministry, she sang this morning. One of our students is going to be reading the scripture. So give it up for Gemma as she comes to read John chapter 15. Hi, Sanctuary. So I'm going to be reading from John chapter 15, as Rod just said, verses 11 through 1. So that says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Thank you, Gemma. I love that you read the scripture. Well, about a couple weeks ago, I had a dinner appointment in Orange County and my phone ran out of power. My phone ran out of power. And so, and I didn't have the power uh, in my car to uh, fire it back up. So I was really stressed out, didn't know what to do. And I'm thinking about how am I gonna meet my dinner appointment? Cause I don't even know uh, how to get there or the address. And I had this amazing phone where I take photos and uh, you can't email. I text a lot. It's got all these apps, shoot videos. So it's just an amazing piece of technology, but it wasn't working because it didn't have the power source. It just ran out of power. And so I uh, opened the window of my mother and father-in-law's apartment and I snuck through hoping no one would see me and think I was breaking in to their apartment. And I found a unit to be able to charge my phone. The point is this, is as amazing as this is, it doesn't work without a power source. And this reminds us of what is true spiritually, where Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the power source of who he is in our lives, we really cannot do anything. And so the title of the message this morning is Jesus in his own words. And if you're new to church, this is a great time to be here because we're going to talk about uh, the Christian life and what it looks like. And so Jesus is speaking the seven I am's. He's speaking the seven I am's. And I want to talk about those to you this morning. We're looking at the scripture, the word of God. Uh, we're here to hear what God has said, not what man has said. Jesus said this. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd and I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And he made these declarations declarative statements about himself. The, 
And what we're going to look at this morning is five blessings, five fantastic blessings that are ours when we abide in Christ, when we follow Him. So if you're already, could you do me a little favor so I know you're listening? And give me a little honk of the horn. Good. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Jesus said, I am. Literally means, I am equal with God. It's an I am statement that comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus, where Moses was looking for God, and he spoke to God in a burning bush, and he said, who do I tell them that is sending me? And God spoke to the burning bush, and he said, tell them I am that I am. In other words, God, I am God. I am eternally constant, eternally present. I always am. I have always existed. I always will be, and I am God. And so Jesus, when he said, I am the true vine, he was saying, I am God incarnate. Jesus was declaring that he was actually equal then to God. So in our context here in ancient Israel, <coughs> grapevines were everywhere. And so throughout the Old Testament, uh, you would see grapevine imagery that would speak of being a symbol of God's people. So the vine was a symbol of God's chosen people. Yet the Jews felt like they were God's vine. So in the Old Testament, this vine imagery is found throughout it. But there was a problem because God's people were rebellious. They didn't have fruit. They were useless. They were a waste. And they didn't serve God. They didn't live up to their reputation as the vine. There was no fruit in their lives. And so when you hear the word vine, it's really a word of judgment. And the Bible talks about being an empty vine because they failed miserably as God's people. So when Jesus says, I am the vine, he's saying, I am not only God, but I'm the new vine. I am, uh, and again, they were used to the imagery of failure and falling short. But Jesus is saying now, entering into the banner of their failure over their lives and saying, you are not the true vine. I am the true vine. I am the life source. If you want to be connected to God the Father, you have to be connected to me. Jesus was saying that the life of God, actually, it flows through me. The fruitfulness that has been missing from your life is now possible through me. I am the true vine. You've not been able to please God. You've not been able to do what pleases God. But I got you because I am the true vine. Jesus is saying, what we cannot be, I am. The power of the Christian life hinges on this very thing that Jesus is what we could never be, becoming what we could never become. Jesus is being able to accomplish through us what we could never accomplish. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling like in church world, I'm exhausted, I'm tired of religion, I feel I can't be more and do better, I fall short all the time, let me encourage you with Jesus' words because Jesus becomes everything that we cannot become. He is the true vine. He covers all of our failures. He's the life source that you need to be connected or otherwise you will die on the vine. So Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I will bless you and nourish you and give you my life. And then he talks in verse 2 and says this. 
He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. So Jesus talks about there are two types of branches. There are two types of branches, and really all of us this morning would be one of those two types of branches. And he's going to talk about how fruit bearing is increased by pruning. So God will strip away from your life the extra, the unnecessary, for the purpose that you would bear more fruit. It may be painful. It may take time. But God is in the business of producing more fruit in your life. So there are branches that produce fruit and those that don't produce fruit. Now, how can it be there are branches which don't produce fruit? Well, there are people, perhaps you've met some, that outwardly they appear to be attached. They appear to be connected to God in Christ, but inwardly they are not. They're detached. They're unattached. They're disconnected from Jesus. And so this is what he's talking about, where there are people that they're on the edge. They're on the edge of faith. They're on the edge of believing. They really haven't crossed the line of faith and made an all-in genuine commitment to Christ. The other type of branch is a fruit-producing branch, or a branch would speak of a Christ follower. So every Christ follower is to bear fruit. There's really no such thing as a non-fruitful Christ follower. If God's life is in you, you are going to produce fruit. And Jesus said he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they would produce even more. The fact is this. Everybody that follows Jesus gets pruned. Why would the Lord prune you if you're already fruitful? The reality is God sees your life, sees that you could ha have a life that was more fruitful. And so knowing that, he will prune you. He will prune that which you don't even see. So why does God prune us? One of the reasons he prunes us is to remove things that are dead and things that are dying. Perhaps things that God wants you to let go of. Perhaps a relationship. Crucial to removing dead things is the fact that you need space in your life to grow and God will remove things that are dead and dying. Another reason that God will prune us is because of things that are unhealthy. Things that are unhealthy in your life. Perhaps you need to have things that are removed from your life. Maybe what you follow, maybe what you listen to, maybe what you watch, maybe what, who you take advice from. There can be things in our lives that are unhealthy that need to be removed. So God will prune those things from our lives. Maybe there's insecurities, fears, lies that need to be revealed, lies that you believe that aren't true. So God wants to come and prune those things out of your life. He'll also prune you to remove things that are hindering you. They could even be good things. But they're good things that are getting in the way of what your life could be, spiritual growth in the long run. So God comes into our lives, even when your life may be fruitful, and he will prune things that need to be pruned. How easy it is to get distracted and to get diverted and sidetracked and misdirected or settle for wherever you're at. God comes and stirs your life and prunes you. So what does it literally mean to prune? The word is catharsis, which in the original language means to make clean by pruning. So what is it that God wants to produce in our life but fruit? The Bible says in Galatians, it tells us what that is. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. In other words, not just one of those things, but all of those things are the fruit of the Spirit which God wants to produce in your life. Now, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you're listening, and you're like, yeah, like, that's me. Like, I'm nailing it, and I'm just, I'm being so encouraged by the list. He's talking about me. Well, this is a lifelong journey where you really recognize that I'm not where I once was, but I'm not where I ultimately would be, will be, or want to be. So therefore, God in Christ by the Holy Spirit steps into your story so that you might grow in these areas. Who here, like, I want to have more of all of these. Who wouldn't like to have more joy in your life, more peace, more patience, being more kind, being more good, being more faithful and gentle, self-control. I mean, who wouldn't want those things? And so God comes to your life and prunes so that you can grow. But then he prunes some more so you can grow some more and prune some more so you can grow some more. And Jesus is saying, I want you to grow in who I am because I am perfect in all of these things. So where do you this morning need to grow? I think it's super encouraging that you can grow more in all of these areas in the fruit of the Spirit. Well, could it be this morning that you recognize that you need to grow? I can't speak for your life, but I'll speak for my own. And what I have discovered is that there are seasons, there are times where although I want these things in my life and I want more fruit in my life, that it is not happening uh, to the degree that you would want. And I realize that even though there's a desire there, uh, there's a want to grow, some of the biggest moments of growth happen in life where it's things you would never pick or you would choose. For example, the death of my father a few years ago, he died of brain cancer. And uh, as he was deteriorating, uh, he was disfigured with his, with his eye. And uh, it was really grotesque. And he had kind of facial disfigurement there. Well, during that season of three, the last three months, really about six altogether, I needed to just drop things and pretty much drop my, some of my normal things that I would do in life just to be able there to be there for dad and to, to try to do good for dad and to serve my dad and walk with someone who was suffering intensely. But I'd never walked with someone like that who was suffering so much. It was my dad that I, that I loved. But during that time, I recognize now, in retrospect, that God used that to bring fruit into my life. There have been other times that that has happened. But here's the reality, is that I would never choose that on my own if it, if it was an option. I would never sign up for another round. Uh, but even... Uh, God knew that in that season he could work in my life, even though I would never want to do it again. So how else does God prune you? Yeah, he can prune you through circumstances and situations in your life, and maybe in an accelerated way. If you look at verse 3, it says this. You've already been pruned and purified by the word that I've given you. So watch what this says. 
the actual pruning, the actual operation and dynamic of God's pruning you is done, it says, by the Word of God. The Word of God does the pruning. It's the truth that purges you, confronts you of your sin. It's the Word of God that convicts you. It's the Word of God that cuts you. Maybe it's hostility or greed or pride or lust. Perhaps it's anger, but the Word of God then cuts you. It's a word that makes you to increase in your fruit bearing. And so Jesus says, you are clean through the word which I have given to you. And then he says in verse 4, he reminds us to stay connected. He says, abide in me and I in you. We are to remain in him or to stay in him, but to be intimately connected in him like a vine would stay in the branch. So Jesus is saying that you are to remain permanently, not to be barely connected, not to be sort of just there, but not really there, not to be superficial, but to be real as his followers, to be connected to Christ. And when you think of the vine and the branches, you're talking about it's really an intimate life giving connection, which speaks of our relationship with Christ. If I had a rose in my hand and uh, I was to look at the rose and show you the rose, that rose is going to wilt and shrivel and die if it's not connected to the life-giving vine that it, that it once was a part of. And that's the picture of our lives. We will wilt, we will wither if we're not connected to Christ. So we're to be intimately connected. And I think, friends, that's just flat out awesome. Uh, when you're intimately connected, connected to Jesus and there's the flow of his life and the flow of his power and his person, it causes you then to bear fruit at that point in your life. So if you're new to church, maybe even if you've been around forever, I want to share something with you from the life of Peter that I think is so stunning about what is happening here uh, if we abide in Christ because we are welcomed and we are delighted to, to be a part of his, a relationship with him. So there's no reason why you would ever avoid God. There's no reason why you would ever run from God. But our tendency is this in the Christian life, is to feel like we got to clean ourselves up before we approach the Lord. The Bible doesn't say that it plays out like that. God does not ask you to clean yourself up before you come. What he does is he just asks you to come. He bids you to come, and then he cleans you up after you come. He asks you to come just as you are. So we never have reason. We never have reason to avoid God. We never have reason to run from God. Well, the Bible talks about Peter in his last days. And Peter was one of these super intense, impulsive, passionate, emotional, super aggressive, uh, brazen, in-your-face bro that had this big personality. And I think we probably would all like him if we met him. But that was Peter. And Jesus tells his followers, he says to them, hey, all of you are going to betray me. Peter was like this. Peter said, though everyone else is going to betray you and throws them under the bus, says, I would never do that. I would never betray you. And Jesus talks straight to Peter. And he says, actually, Peter, before the alarm goes off uh, tomorrow morning, you're going to pay, you're going to betray me and curse me three times. Peter doubles down. 
Peter begins to argue with God. And in fact, he just said, Jesus just asked him, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Though he recognized he was God, now he's arguing with God. And Peter doubles down, begins to argue with Jesus. He says, even if I must die, he says, it'll never happen. I'll never betray you. And Jesus is like, okay, Peter, whatever. And so uh, shortly thereafter, Peter bumps into this girl, and she says, hey, I recognize your accent. Surely you're one of them. And Peter's like really agitated, and he says, I don't even know the man. I even know who you're talking about. And then he gets more bold. She comes back, and she confronts him again. She says, I know you're one of them. Peter, said, Peter just goes off and begins cussing her out, and he says, I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't know the man. And then Jesus hears the cock crow three times, and he recognizes, and he bro he's broken at that moment. And could it get any worse in terms of a betrayal, in terms of a level of betrayal that you're not only denying Jesus, but then you're cursing with your tongue multiple times? Well, fast forward post-resurrection. The Bible says the disciples are going back to all of their old jobs. They're going back to fishing, and they're blue-collar guys. They're, they're blue-collar brothers here. And again, they see Jesus on the shore. He's blocks away. They're blocks away. They're uh, in, the, in the water, and they see Jesus on the shore. And what does Peter do after he's raised from the dead? What does Peter do? Does he say, oh, i got to hide under the boat? I can't believe this is happening. Last time I saw him, I was like cussing out his name. I was saying, I don't even know who the man is. Is that what he does? Does he hide under the boat? No, 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 no. What he does is he jumps into the water there and he swims to the shore and there he falls at the feet of Jesus. And to understand our position in Christ, that we never need to run away. We never need to avoid God. But he is the God that we run to, not that we run from, regardless of what we're guilty of. And friends, that, that's just stunning there. This is what God is like. That Peter, who was the most guilty of all, jumps into the water and couldn't wait to get to the boat, out of the boat, to see Jesus. Unbelievable here. That we don't run from him, but we run to him. So do you understand, do you understand then that when you abide in Christ, you are welcomed, you are loved, you are intimate with him. So verse 5 says this in John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide or remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'm going to give you five reasons why you want to abide. Five reasons why you want to be intimate with Christ. Five reasons why you want to follow closely after him. The first one is this. It says you'll produce much fruit. You'll bear much fruit. So, friends, listen to me. You look at your life and maybe you don't feel fruitful. Maybe you feel like there's, there's a little bit of fruit, if truth be done, a little bit. Maybe there's moderate. But how encouraging is this, is that you have the capacity connected to Christ to be super fruitful the rest of your life. All you have to do, Jesus said, is you abide and I will produce fruit in your life. It's not your job to produce the fruit. 
my job to produce the fruit. It's your job to abide. So that means your entire life, your choices, your decisions, how you spend your time, who you spend your time with, are deliberate and intentional that you would abide in Christ. As you filter these choices through your life, does this cause me to abide or does this cause me to draw away? Verse 6 says this, anyone who does not remain in me, here's a sober picture of what happens when you withdraw, when you're not connected. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and to be burned. Sobering, friends, that this declares, Jesus declaring that life fails when you choose to not abide. Your life will be barren, broken. And the Lord is saying at this point, I'm pleading with you that you would abide, that you would be intimate, that you'd be a real branch, that you'd get on board with me, that you wouldn't play around, you wouldn't jerk around, that you would abide with me. Because you know, like I do, there are some people that they're just kind of going along uh, for the ride. They're not really connected. Maybe they're pressured. Maybe they're coerced. Maybe they want to uh, uh, make their spouse happy or their parents happy. But people can connect in a superficial way. But they're not real branches. Like Jesus just spoke of, we talked of two weeks ago, with Judas Iscariot and all the drama surrounding his life. Judas was the branch that didn't remain. Judas was the branch that didn't abide. We saw what happened to his life. So Jesus says in his own words, verse 7, But if you abide, if you spend time with me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. So Jesus is not saying, hey, any prayer you want, carte blanche, you get what you want just if you abide. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you abide with me, if you spend time with Jesus, over time, that's going to shape you. That's going to mold you such that your desires will reflect his desires so that when you pray, you would pray what God wants for your life. You would pray God's will. And in that context, you will receive this astounding promise that's connected to the idea of abiding, and then your prayer is answered. So not only will you be full of fruit, you'll be full of answered prayer. How awesome is that? The Bible's saying this, Jesus is saying this, that Jesus responds to those that remain in him. Now notice that if you don't remain in him, all bets are off. If you're not a child of God, I'm telling you, you are on your own. God is under no obligation to hear your prayer. There's no guarantee whatsoever. So you want to abide. So you'd be full of, full of fruit, God's fruit. And you want to abide so your prayers would be answered. Here's a third reason you want to abide. Verse 8. And when you produce much fruit from abiding, you are my true disciples. And watch what happens when your life bears fruit. It's awesome. This brings great glory to my Father. So when you abide in Christ... You have the opportunity to be used for God's glory. How amazing is that? 
the result of abiding as God is glorified in your life. It's absolutely awesome. And then he says in verse 9, And I've loved you, even the Father has loved me. And just remain. Remain in my love. Walk in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's and remain in his love. So what Jesus is saying is this. So when you remain in him and his love and who he is, he gives you the power to love. Gives you the power to love. So we read these verses and we realize that we are called to grow in the love that Christ has for us and we can have for one another. But what does it mean for us? What, is that, what does that look like? Like, how do we grow in love? Well, you want to give yourself over to growing in love for Jesus Christ. We want to fill our lives with things, fill our lives with stuff that stirs our affections for Jesus. And we uh, also want to cut off anything that robs me of those affections. So do you pay attention to those things that stir your affections for Jesus, that stir your, your love for him? Obviously, the scriptures and praying will do that. Uh, when you create space, create sacred space for that to happen. But here's some of the other things, some other things that stir my heart for God and stir my affections. One of them is this, is that I have one friend, his name is Dan White, and he texts me a couple times a week, and he often will text me things, a video, uh, a message, a, a statement, a scripture, that just stir my heart. It just, it stirs my heart, my passion for God. And I'll even go back and look at them. I'll sometimes share those with other people. But you could build into your life relationships that stir your love for God. That happens to me on every Monday. I have, I have lunch with Pastor Ron. And almost every Monday without exception, Pastor Ron will do something or say something or remind me of something that just stirs my heart for God. So I want to encourage you to build into your life, be really uh, strategic about it, uh, to build into your life some relationships that are going to stir your love for God. Uh, worship can do that. Sometimes just getting off in a corner and listening to worship stirs my affections. My wife listens to worship music, and oftentimes she'll say, hey, Ron, have you heard this song? And I'll hear a song that just begins to stir my heart. So you can read Scripture reflectively, slowly, try to drink it in, ask Him what God is speaking to you. Those things are going to stir your affections for Him. Contrary to that, there's also things that can undermine your affections for Jesus. Perhaps in your case, and I have no idea what it is, but maybe it's something that you just love. And I'm not saying that those things are necessarily bad. They could be good. It's not like they're demonized, whatever. They could, be, they could be good things. But too much of those things sometimes can draw you away. You can get so self-absorbed in those things that they begin to rob you of your affections for Jesus. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your favorite sports teams. For me, it is my favorite sports teams because I love sports, love to watch sports, love to read about sports. And it's very easy for me not only to care, but to care too much. 
Are you like that? Do you have anything in your life, something you watch? Maybe it is a sports team for you, but you don't only just care, but you can care too much and you can get so self, self-absorbed that if I don't watch it, uh, I, I can just get, I can get sort of sucked in too deep over time. And so lastly, here's what following Christ, abiding in him will do for you. It says, I've told you these things so that you can be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. How awesome is that, that the God of the universe actually cares about your joy. And Jesus, before he was going to go to a brutal cross, one of the last things he talked about was your joy. Think of that. Of all the things he could have talked about, he talks about your joy when in 24 hours he's going to be hanging on a cross. So remember that Jesus is sharing this because he wants you to have joy. Notice it doesn't say that you just be happy. It doesn't say that you'd be filled with happiness. Because Jesus knows how fragile, how frail, how circumstance-dependent happiness is. Jesus knows the little bump, you know, you wake up and you're happy, and all of a sudden you see something or you read the news or there's something on your wall, or, and all of a sudden your happiness is destroyed. Jesus, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I want to give you joy that is founded in the reality that you belong to me, and I belong to you, and you're abiding in me. And that doesn't go away when your cir- good circumstances do. The God of the universe concerned about your deep-rooted joy. How amazing. Deep-seated deep-rooted, just a joy that you have about life because you're abiding in Christ. The last reason that you want to abide in Christ is this very reason, is that you would experience His joy. Perhaps that's something you'll grow in when you make the decision to abide in Him. So wouldn't you want to invite Him to keep pruning? With all of that on the line, all of that that you could leverage, imagine you could be full of fruit, full of answered prayer, giving glory to God, having the power to love, and filled with joy. All because you make a decision to abide in Christ. It's awesome. Well, let's pray. Well, Father, thank you that you are the true vine. Thank you that there's just no one like you. Thank you that you have done for every one of us that we could never do for ourselves, that you are the true vine who accomplishes what we could never accomplish, who produces the fruit in our life that we could never produce, the life that we could never produce. I pray that this morning, as people watch online and people are in their cars and under tents and in the do- under the dock, Father, that you would stir our hearts for you, that we would fill our lives with things that stir our affections for you. We could be intentional about relationships that would stir our affections for you. And we invite you, Lord, we invite you, Spirit of living God, to keep pruning and to have your way among us. So I pray, Lord, that all of us would begin the journey with a little more intentionality, a little more heart, a little more desire, a little more intimacy with you. 
and we would experience the best that is yet to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.